Welcome to Chris Judd's Masters of the Market, a podcast giving everyday investors access to some of the best and brightest minds in the Australian investing landscape. Today's episode is brought to you by Think Markets, the trading platform where you can trade Forex, shares, CFDs, indices, and commodities. In today's episode, I fly over to Perth to talk to Andrew Chapman, Perth-based funds manager from Merchant Funds Management Group. He walks us through his experience investing in biotech stocks, medical marijuana, and other micro caps. His fund's done incredibly well over the last five years, returning over 28% on average per annum. I hope you enjoy listening to Andrew Chapman. Andrew Chapman, thanks very much for joining Masters of Market. Really appreciate you giving me the time. No problems, Chris. Pleasure to be here. So, uh, I guess... We might just start with Merchant's investment philosophy, if you like. It's been an incredible track record last five years, 28 plus percent, which puts you ahead of Buffett. Uh, what's, your, uh, what's your investment philosophy and what sort of opportunities do you like to look for? Uh, look, it's, yeah, thanks. It has been a pretty good run. We have, um, we have done pretty well over the last five or six years, um, specifically since forming Merchant. Um, look, I don't know about being a master of the market, that's for sure. <laughs> I, I certainly... Would probably say I get more right than wrong, but uh, but definitely not in the master category. Um, well, look, over the years, I think our, our philosophy is a little bit of evolved, you know, yeah. from what we started doing to where we are a little bit now. And um, you know, we try and get into positions where you, you can see a couple of years in advance, or you can see a little bit down in the future that there's going to be a liquidity event. Yeah. Or, um, you know, for us, one of the sort of big winners that we had over the years was the medical cannabis industry. Um, And that's been a really good investment for us, uh, that particular sector. And so we did a lot of deals in that sector. Um, We also, you know, back people. Um, It's really clear in in our game, in this micro cap, small cap end, it's really got to be a people game. Um, and either you're a good people person or you're not. And those, those skills are, are pretty difficult for people that aren't necessarily good people persons, yeah. for instance, if that's a word, um, to, to adapt to. If you're very, very analytical and, and it's black and white and it's numbers and so on, it's pretty difficult in that small cap yeah. area to, to make money. Um, a lot of the time, you, you know, you... you You'll invest in the person and then the story, um, or it might be the industry and then the person and then the story. It's not yeah. so much, you know, you haven't got analysts crawling over all these companies and giving you a buy-sell recommendation. It's it's about actually sort of, you know, going and seeing, you know, getting on a plane and going to Houston or getting on a plane and going to Macedonia yeah. or wherever you're travelling, and, and you've got to do that really in this sector. It's almost, I would have thought... Um it's almost VC investing, this type of investments you're investing in, sort of overseas you wouldn't be able to list unless you're sort of 500 mil plus on the NASDAQ, yeah. for instance. So yeah. do you feel like it's almost VC investing with liquidity? Yeah, look, it, it, it is, yeah. There's a lot of elements to it of VC or private equity investing yeah. as well. Um, and, you know, we do a bit of private equity stuff because we do carry in the Merchant Opportunities Fund specifically, we do carry unlisted investments in there. Yeah. That uh, that either we bring to market via a, a reverse takeover of a shell company, or we bring it via just a clean skin straight IPO. Yeah. So, um, but it is you do you just have to have patience, you know, and you have to have that patient capital. But on the other side of the coin, you have to be aware that you know when 
um, there's a there's an old expression when the ducks are quacking, you got to feed it. You yeah, know? and 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 that's really true in what we do as well. You still you have to sell. You have to. You know, you have a finite amount of capital that yeah. you have to make money on, and if you can't exit investments, it's pretty difficult to make money. And so, if you've had a good run on a stock, even let's say you still feel it's twenty percent below its intrinsic value, for instance, but all of a sudden there's a liquidity event and you can sell a large holding, mm. are you in the practice of just at least selling some of that, yeah. even if you think there's more on the table because you can put that capital use yep. elsewhere? Look, absolutely, Chris. You know, I'm I'm the first one to admit. You know, I'm not an expert at any of this. I'm. I'm I'm, uh, I'm a, you know... 28.9% a year, five years suggest <laughs> I'm otherwise. A, but I'm a jack of all trades, master yeah. of none. And uh, and I think, you know, for us it's been... Um, you, look, to answer your question, yeah, you do have to sell. And, yeah. uh, and I, I just... I take an approach more of that I just sell piecemeal yeah. um, over time. And so because I'm, you just know 100%, I've been in this industry long enough, and I'm never going to get it right. I'm yeah. never going to call the bottom and I'm never going to call the top. And, uh, and in my experience, I never have. And so um, I just take the view that, you know, you just sell piecemeal. And, and one of our really big investments that we've made four or five years ago is a company called Polynovo. And that's sort of been a defining one for us, I reckon, over yeah. the years. Um, and for for the merchant group and the clients and the funds and, and everything that we, we run. Um, and, for instance, that's one that we... You know, have hit, have sat on substantial stakes and been substantial shareholders in that yeah. company for five years. I'd reckon it would be now, and we've just been selling recently because it's just, you know, it's gone from four cents where we got in, and now it's a dollar ten. And so yeah. we've been, you know, you, you've just got to sell because yeah. the position gets too big as well. That, yeah. And at the end of the day, if liquidity presents itself, you know, you need to take advantage of that. And so Polynovo is part of the David Williams stable company, yes, is that he's right? Yes, chair of that. So yeah. did you come in that when it was still unlisted or did you buy and market it through a, a capital uh, raising? How did that come about? Yeah, look, it's a, it's, it's a long story, that one. Um, when we first set up Merchant Group, we ended up with this fund and it was called the Entrust Investment Fund. Okay. And, uh, and Entrust was the old firm that I worked for and so it was part of, my, you know, uh, that was a, a long story in itself, so I won't start on that one. But, um, uh, and, and you know, you'll appreciate this from your background. When I, when I first started in uh, Polynova, it was actually called Calzada. Yeah. And before it was Calzada, it was called Metabolic. Okay, their claim to fame was they had this this peptide called AOD nine six zero four. So, so that's where. So that did come up in all the Essendon stuff, didn't it? Absolutely, it yeah. Did, the whole yeah. Essendon, when when Essendon were on that hot streak, and then they had, you know, ran into all the troubles, ah. was because that was Metabolic's product. That was Metabolic's product. Wow. And so, in so it was called Calzada at that point in time, and it had it had a pile of cash. It had two CEOs that were relatively dysfunctional. Yeah. Um, and uh, and and that was about it. And it had a board that was, you know. And a, a gentleman that I used to work with by the name of David Franklin was the chairman at the time. Yeah. And uh, we were sort of sitting around trying to figure out how to, you know, it, it was clear that the Polynovo technology, which was run by Julian Burton and jo- Dr. John Greenwood, was was there and it was 
it was in the company, but it yeah. just wasn't seeing the light of day because the two CEOs were fighting, and it was it was all uh, it was pretty entertaining at the time. Yeah. Um, and then we had another camp of investors um, led by um, a gentleman out of Adelaide wanted to roll the board and wanted to you know kick out everyone, and, and so I went to Adelaide and I sat with them all and gave it all some some DD and yeah, and then. Um, and then over time, you know, for my opinion of what was there and what was um, an investment worth making, and and also I really like the human element to it. To be honest with yeah. you, it's that, um, and I've become really good friends with Julian Burton. Who, so talk us through Polynova's product. Yeah, so the the product, the main product is a what they call the BTM, which is a um, essentially a skin scaffold. Yeah. Um, and so what it is is that when a, a company or when someone suffers third degree burns. What used to happen traditionally is a third-degree burn, it's a wet wound, right? And so uh, a company called Integra makes a product that is um, expensive, um, it's a wet, it's basically like a big A4 sheet of paper, and that would go on the wound, and sometimes it would fall off or sometimes it would slip on the floor and then you've got to throw it out, and, and these things cost thousands of dollars for an A4 sheet of paper. So Polynovo or Dr John Greenwood, um, who's now one of the world's best known burn surgeons, and Julian Burton. Now Julian is a is a was a footy player, um, and he was part of he was part of the Adelaide team that went to Bali when the Bali bombings yeah, happened. Okay. And so Julian was in the Sari Club when on his way out of the Sari Club when it blew up, and so Julian ended up with burns all over his back and you know bum yeah. everywhere and. Uh, and so, and then Julian and, and John was the first doctor on the scene when all the patients were transferred from Bali down to Darwin. Yeah. And so John was the doctor that was looking after burns for um, Adelaide and the Northern Territory. Yeah. And so John and Julian became good mates and then and they developed this product together over a period of time. So it had this real, you know, human element to it. And Julian um, and I, as I said, become great mates. And, you know, I went to his wedding not long ago and, and he's coming to mine and so on. And, um, and uh, uh, he started the Julian Burton Burns Foundation and we run a little sort of charitable fund here and so we gave them some money and helped them out. And, mm. and so it was a really nice story. And at the end of the day, it's a really good product that, yeah. that was clear that had some potential to be a real world leader. Um, but it, we'd had a real problem with management. Yeah. And so the the guy that was the current chairman probably wasn't as effective as re, in restructuring the business as what people would have liked. And so that the times were slipping and, you know, every, every um, angle or every deadline was slipping and so on. And then the two CEOs were fighting and it was pretty funny. And yeah. um, albeit, you know, we had lots of money invested in this thing. And so... I remember, you know, I had a conversation with David Williams one day and he called me and he just, you know, in his normal gruff manner and was like, oh, you know, look, I want to have a look at this Polynovo thing, you know, what do you know about it, da-da-da, and we, we had a chat and we formed a friendship. And, and Was that and, how you started, working with him? then he started, yeah, he came on as a chairman at the time um, and another couple of gentlemen by the name of Max Johnson and Philip Howe were also in, into Polynovo at the time and yeah. David had just freed up a bit of time at the time he was um, finishing a tassel group yeah which is the salmon and uh, um and he was finishing up his sort of executive duties there and uh and and looking for another gig to get involved in and so he got involved in polynova yeah and that was about five years ago yeah and uh and david's a bit of a 
uh, a personality in his own right and he's pretty forceful and uh, and he quickly you know knew what needed to be done and, and you know so you didn't have a background in any medical products David oh look I'm I, David's been a big agricultural investor and yeah. biotech investor he's been done by yeah well. so I think just over the years he's he's you know, he, he started off his career at Challenger and, you know, various other entities and, and then he built up Kidder Williams, Yeah. you know, um, over a... Look, David is... I've never is, met him, but it's a relief when he gets involved in oh, the companies you're invested in because he takes yeah, such yeah. an active role and look, has a happy habit yeah. of, of making money. Look, he, he's an enigma. Yeah. And he's very entertaining. Yeah. Uh, and, and again, you know, him and I have formed quite a good friendship over the years and so we do a lot of deals now together and... Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, ranging from a so a classic example we were talking before about private equity. So, ranging from a, a private equity company that's uh, that he's involved on, which is called Mobile Tire Shop. Yeah. And uh, and we're big shareholders in that. And so that's just one that we've been in for a couple of years. And you know, they may or may not do a float or an IPO at some stage down the track, or it might be trade sale. We just don't know. Yeah. Um, but you know, it, it sends a car out to if you got if your tires are. are popped and you need a replacement instead of taking your car into the tyre shop it sends yeah. a van out and you know and the guys do fix your tyres and how do you value PE investments that are off the book do they get revalued uh, yeah. yearly or are they just on uh, on investment value of what you put in there or how do you work through that look we do it um, we we do it either annually yeah. or last money in okay so if yeah. if you've gone in and then there's been another capital raise or something yeah. like that that it's independent you yeah. know if we've participated and it's a different story gotcha. but if we do it if it's an independent capital raise you know like for instance mobile tire shop right now is doing a rights issue for existing shareholders yeah so we put money in at a dollar it's at a dollar 15 yeah so we'll change the value from a dollar to dollar 15 yeah and so um and so that's how we value it you yeah know, you can you can make you can run into it's a difficult one because yeah. a lot of the time when you've got investments that haven't done very well, um, you know, you've got it from an audit point of view and from a fund point of view to make sure that your net tangible assets is as accurate as possible yeah. at all time. And so sometimes you have to write them down, but then from a compliance and an audit perspective, it's really difficult to justify why you're doing it. Yeah. And so a lot of the time we write down stuff that that. You know, for whatever reason, but maybe that financial year we th- we write it down, and then we, you know, if there's a, you know, we prefer to write stuff down yeah. rather than keep it artificially high. If, yeah. if that's the case, yeah. so you know, we always write everything down to you know the low levels if we um, if we have to. But you've got to be able to justify it. You know, and I, rec- I reckon there's a it's a unique type of. Um, company that you guys invest in compared to other funds on the eastern states yeah. do you want to explain to um the listeners you know when, when you invest in a company that's got an ev of five million bucks for instance which on first look appears incredibly risky almost no matter what the company is doing yeah, yeah. but generally an ev can't go much below one and a half million bucks yeah generally yeah so you're really only risking that three and a half million bucks is that sort of the way you look at some of those deals where they seem on the surface to just be incredibly risky for a fund to be investing in. Yeah, yeah. Look, we look at it from a, um, you know, if we're doing investments in those sort of companies, and, and you know, look, we've just done done one today actually, and and it's a small, you know, minor, and and I don't generally do a hell of a lot in the resources space because yeah. you, quite frankly, I just don't 
understand it that well. Yeah. And uh, and I prefer to you know to look at things where I, I think there's more of a, a human element to it. Yeah. You know, and I, I kind of like that sort of stuff. And um, but you know, for instance, we've gone into a company today that um, that it has an EV of. Oh, must be only a couple of million bucks. Yeah. Um, above cash. Yeah. And so it's quite, it's quite binary in a sense, a little bit. You know, you you, you are taking on a, a risk, and this is why all those traditional methods of investing don't put eggs in one basket. Yeah, you yeah. know, da 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 da. We have uh, we have the expression of you know, you just got to be careful if you get stuck in the cray pot. Yeah. Right. Which is, a, is something that's hard to get in, easy to get into, but hard to get out of. Yeah you get stuck in these cray pots then you've got to be able to you know maneuver yourself or maneuver a position around in terms of change the board if the people on the board have acquisition experience or a hunger to acquire things or things of pear shape you do sort of get a bit of optionality though that you don't get absolutely in a 200 million dollar stock yeah yeah look 100 percent. and and you've got to be able to go you've got to be able to um change up the board you've got to be able to bring in the right people and this is yeah. where i go back to what i said at the start it generally is is all about people now i'll give you an example of one that we're playing around in at the moment which is just you know is public is, is a company called hills now hills is the hills hoist yeah so it's the second oldest listed company the in australia lines. the clotheslines yeah okay and uh and this is a classic example of the board in a sense have just sat there and just you know, tried to do what they think is the right thing to do and not really realise that the company, the company now at a $35 million market cap is a lot different to what it was when it had a $500 million market yeah. cap, but the board haven't changed. Yeah, They're still paying themselves big salaries. There's six people on the board. Yeah, The way that the company should be run now is as a micro cap where they should be running on a smell of an oily rag. Yeah. And these guys aren't, and they're still, you know... Each director's getting paid a hundred grand. Yeah. You know, the chairwoman's getting paid a hundred and sixty grand. And wow. you know, there's just big numbers. Yeah. And, and 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 you hate to sort of they've got to move with the times, and they've really st- struggled to do that. And yeah. so we're now just gone substantial in that particular company, and and uh, and there'll be a bit of media and a bit of press around that um, shortly. And and with the view that we're trying to reset it and change things up. Yeah. Now sometimes you need to. Look, sometimes you need to bully people, you know. Yeah. It just doesn't necessarily... Does that sit comfortably with you, that activist shareholder oh, role? Look, I'd, it's pretty entertaining. Um, <laughs> I don't... Um, it's, look, it's challenging. It's really yeah. challenging because you are dealing with, you know, you, the natural reaction of most directors is just to scorch the earth around them and prevent you from taking their job away. Yeah. and Which you can totally understand. So you have to... Um, you know, you you have to navigate those waters, and and it sometimes that is really difficult. Yeah. And uh, and it, and you know, and there's some that we're dealing with now in the science area, which is, you know, so David and I, David Williams and I are in a, in a company called Sienna, and we're both substantial shareholders, and it's a blood diagnostic company, and it's got the elements of a Polynovo type story because it's you know it's 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 a good thing for humans. Yeah. Right. It's a good thing for people to be able to benefit from and you can really see how doing a blood test versus a prostate exam which you know as a male we all know how unpleasant that is and so um there's a real human element to the story but a lot of the times 
unfortunately companies and and founders don't see they suffer from what you call founders disease which is you know i I just want to circle the wagons around myself and keep everything tight and i want to control everything and so on and and people sort of forget that that a share market listed company is for the benefit of all shareholders yeah not just themselves and and uh so you're dealing with that quite a lot and that's um challenging so what what sort of uh size do you need to get on the register before boards will start taking that activism seriously oh look i i generally think in my experience and as i said i'm not the expert at it but i've done a few these days um in my experience you've got to be sort of north of five percent you've got to be substantial you've got to disclose you know and and once you disclose then it becomes clear and either boards either then listen or they don't and uh, in the case of hills is interesting because you know we disclosed above five percent had a chat to the the board and and we were originally looking to put someone on the board so we could evaluate the business from internally and see see you know what's who's who in the zoo and what's what and uh and uh and then looking into that in more detail it's you know it's clear there's six people on the board already you know i'm actually just throwing fuel on the fire by throwing another person on the board and so we've just changed tack to say okay well you know there's no point putting another person on the board what you actually need to do is you need a full clean out yeah and so you can imagine that didn't go over very well (laughs) because you know i'm basically saying to you know i'm some upstart from over in wa which everyone thinks are you know cowboys and criminals anyway and so <laughs> and uh and so I'm, I'm saying to a group of six people you know at the average age of 60 yeah that, you know three of you need to fall on your sword yeah and uh and so you can imagine you know i didn't hear much on the end of that phone call <laughs> and um and do you try and recruit other shareholders to join that that process yeah yeah if there's someone else we know that's built a position or is building a position in there then we'll try and sort of recruit other people to yeah. join it and you know it's easier sort of doing it as part of a team versus on your own yeah if needs be you just got to keep buying and believing that what you're doing is the right thing and you're going to create a liquidity event down the track next week on the show we've got the ceo of washington soul pats todd barlow well, I think you can get too involved in the data, and, and, and you know, again, if you're looking at, um, uh, you know, we always come back to some quotes of Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger because they just speak such uh, you know, sensible and rational thoughts. And you know, if you listen to Charlie, he said, "We don't sit sit around looking at spreadsheets all day. If you have a good idea, you instinctively know it, and and when everybody agrees that it's the right approach, um, you know, we go forward." And so. You can get bogged down in the spreadsheets, you can get bogged down in the data, uh, and you can certainly get bogged down in the the day-to-day noise around what's going on in the short term. Don't forget to subscribe to us on iTunes and leave a comment, or wherever else you get your podcasts from. One of the high-profile deals you were involved in was OnePage, which has been uh, in the news. Do you want to walk the listeners through the journey of maybe OnePage before you got involved? Uh, What transpired and what what it's morphed into? Then. Yeah, look, it was. Um, I was an investor. The fund was an investor, a substantial investor, actually, in the shell company before it became oh, wow. one page. Yeah, okay. And it was called ITT. And for you so, know, what did you invest in? What was the price you got into that at? Oh, mate, it was about one cent or yeah, something okay. like that. It was. It was. Uh, it's not one of my best deals, that's for sure. <laughs> but well, one cent. One page got up to a dollar eighty, didn't it? Yeah. No, no, five dollars sixty. Five dollars sixty from $5. one 60. without doing a consolidation. Uh, 
Sure. I not. think no, it did a cons- it did a console. I look to be honest. Yeah, I it's, can't a, it's a question without notice. But so, go on. so, so you're in you're in, in the shell, and yeah, then no, that, that morphed into one page. Yeah, and so what I, what I'm saying where it was where it was not one of my best ones is that I sold out at about twenty cents, thinking I killed it, <laughs> <laughs> thinking I'd made a fortune, and then um, and then it was that bad that I even for- we even forgot to exercise some options, and oh. so it was just one one. It was a real. <laughs> And it was, and then just sat there and watched it go to five dollars sixty. And so when I say you know I don't get them all right, I certainly. Well, you know, twenty bag is still pretty good. We you're, made you're money. Particularly greedy, like it's not happy with a twenty bag. We made money, but we just uh, left millions of dollars on the table. Yeah, absolutely millions. And then uh, so I just watched it and, uh, and on no and revenue. But this is for the listeners out there that aren't familiar with the story. It's gone to five sixty on basically zero revenue, hasn't it? Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, it was it was all um, a lot of it was. Uh, look, it's funny, you know. Forbes Forbes magazine wrote a really good article on it once yeah. it finished, like for the as the death of it. Yeah. And uh, and so it was, it, and they wrote a very good article on it. And and look, the um, Yolanda. Um, from the Finn Review, she followed it really closely, and she wrote some really good pieces on it as well. So it was it was in the news and and whatnot. And so, and I can remember going to, um, and I bought the first lot of stock at a dollar, thinking, you know, Jesus, come down from five bucks. It's a dollar. Right? They've got a big cash, big cash balance. Yeah. You know, it's probably going to turn here. There's something, you know. And, and so I got that totally wrong. And then, um, and then. And then it just kept dropping, and I and I sort of couldn't figure out why. And then I made a few calls and did a bit of, you know, a bit more digging in terms of okay, well these are these are the announcements, and this is what's been said. You know, I, you ring the companies and try and get hold of the HR person and say, well, are you using the the one page technology, and how does it look, and how does it work, and everything like that. And and the shares just kept dropping. So obviously someone was selling, and um, and. We just uh, and, we, and so as a, as the shares kept dropping, I just kept buying more because yeah. I kept I kept just looking at the cash balance and the cash burn. Yeah. Fortunately for one page, what was attractive about one page was uh, whilst it was you know getting hyped right up, um, they did a capital raising of fifty million bucks at four dollars fifty a share. Yeah. And a big fund put in basically all of that money. Yeah. And then. When I started sort of sniffing around, it was around the dollar, obviously, and then it just kept dropping and dropping and dropping. Yeah. And the shares were dropping quicker than they were spending the cash. Yeah, so okay. what actually happened was the actual shares went on, un- the value of the company went under the cash balance. Yeah, okay. And so as that was happening, I, d- I just kept buying and buying and buying. Yeah. And, uh, and then I got to 5%, and, um, and I went over, I got on a plane, and uh, and I and I went over to San Francisco. Yeah. Uh, literally flew in, you know, overnight that morning. Um, had a meeting with Joanna Riley, who's the the founder of OnePage. Yeah. And uh, and a gentleman, um, John um, John John Fennelly, who yeah. was the chairman at that stage, and Joanna was the founder and CEO. And uh, and it was really clear. And we had a, a good sort of meeting for about two hours. Yeah. And it was um, it was really clear that she was really really passionate about what the company did and and the prospects of it and everything like that and but sort of didn't have the detail under control and uh, and 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 
there was real no sort of evidence that the system that one page developed which is the one page resume yeah. was actually working yeah and uh, and the database that they inherited or bought or, or whatnot was was pretty dirty in a yeah. sense that it it was apparently 500 million names and I, and I can remember asking her I said you know how does it get updated because you know I know my LinkedIn profile I might update something maybe once a year or twice a year or, or but a lot of people it's four five six seven ten times yeah and so on average you know four maybe four times a year so you've got 500 million people on a database updating four times a year yeah that's a lot of you know lines on an excel spreadsheet yeah. i don't even think excel goes that far yeah and um and she goes, oh, no, no, it's all automatic, all automatic. And, uh, and then so we did a bit more digging and found out it was a manual process. Yeah. And then it was uh, – and so then the quality of what they were selling essentially just wasn't, wasn't there. And yeah. so companies like Starbucks and, and all the big high-profile ones that they announced were, were basically saying, we will use you if it works. Yeah, okay. And we will pay you X if it works. Yeah. But there's no minimum contract and there's no minimum spend. Yeah. And so at the time, and, you know, there's a bunch of other companies that got in trouble with that sort of, you know, announcements were being released accordingly. It's sort of the get... Was that, that was before GetSwift, Yes, yeah, before GetSwift. But it sounds like a similar sort of story. Very, very around. similar, yeah. And so... And the ASX since then has tightened right up on all of those sort of statements. And, yeah. Um, as you know, uh, and they've done a good job at it as as they should because they've made it a lot more difficult for people to release announcements like that. And so, um, and so I remember sitting down and having a having a, a coffee with Joanna and John for about two hours, and and she was really passionate and selling me the dream and selling me the story. And she was really believable, right? Yeah. She was a good presenter. Yeah. And uh, and, and you know, in, in this game, she, you know, and I, and I could see why the stock went up to five bucks you yeah. know I really could because she was a great talker yeah and uh and, and you know and without sounding like a sexist pig she's a woman in in you know most boardrooms that she would go into are full of guys she's a good looking woman you know and it was and you could see she was a great presenter and she really knew this story well yeah and then i remember sitting to it and i said to her look you know this is um you know this is what i think needs to happen and this is what i think you know this is what my agenda is and, uh, and 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 uh, your agenda at that stage was to just close it down and take the cash, or basically, okay, yeah, just <laughs> yeah. to say, look, you know. And I tried to sort of soften it. And I tried to say, look, I can see that you're really, really passionate about this business, and, yeah. and look, I really think it should be something that's US based, not Australian based, because the Australian market clearly doesn't appreciate all the great work you're doing, and yeah. so on and so on. And I, and I was really, you know, and I said it in a real, you know, soft approach, and, yeah. and then. And I could see it in her face that she started to figure out what I was really saying. Yeah. And, and as she started to figure it out, her neck was going red. <laughs> and then the the eyes just fixed on me. Yeah. And she just goes, right, I think I've heard enough. I'll see you later. And got up and left. And I'd flown like, you know, from Perth yeah. to Sydney to San Francisco, yeah. sitting there for about two hours with her. Very clear it was all of a sudden going to be hostile. Yeah. And then so I came back and then um, and then just kept accumulating stock. You yeah. Know? And I, we were buying shares at a discount to cash. And so, yeah. um, you know, we ended up with an average cost of about 20, 21, 22 cents a share. Yeah. And... Uh, with how much cash in, left in uh, there? Mate, it had... Remember? I think at the time it had about um, 28 mil yeah. in the bank. Yeah, and it was, so it was a big shell. Yeah, and uh, and the board at that time, and I managed to sort of, 
um, convince the other board members. I, I got put onto the board, yeah. and then I managed to convince the other board members, who's a, a gentleman by the name of Todd McGrowther, out of KTM in Sydney. And, um, and at that stage, there was a couple of other people, and they all generally resigned over a period of time. And, and Todd and I, you know, it's, it seems to be a common theme, right? Todd and I have become great mates out yeah. of it. And, um, and we're and we're friends to this day, and we're involved in other deals together, and um, and so we and then we just went about the process of shutting the business down, and and we ended up selling it to Joanna. We went to a vote, yeah. and and that was pretty funny because we were over in Sydney, and uh, and it was the AGM, and we were voting on basically our direction, which was shut it down, and we'll figure something else out. Yeah. Because um, you couldn't put in an ASX announcement or anything like that, what you were thinking about doing, because you, we didn't know. You know, yeah. we were just going, okay, we need to stop the bloodletting yeah. of um, 1.3 million bucks a month. Yeah. Um, you know, and then we'll figure something else out. And you're, yeah. you're asking shareholders and people to basically just go. Trust you don't have it. to recomply to do that. You can just stop it. Yeah, you can just stop it without saying what industry you're going into. Yeah. Then when you pick an industry, then you've got to go off the boards and suspend. Correct. And what? Create yeah. a prospectus and, and start again. Yeah, and start again. Yeah. And so it was um, – and so we were saying, you know, look, you just got to trust us at, at our ability to do – Yeah. You know, to not only save the money and preserve some value for the shareholders, but do a good deal and, and turn around and make people money. Yeah. And um, – and you know we're we're two years down the track still, and, yeah. and we haven't relisted yet as anything. So you haven't vended anything in that as yet. We've got a um, we're we're now gone into the medical cannabis space, yeah, which is a space you know dear to my heart, and uh, and so so we're, but without degree we're at the um, shareholder meeting, and and Joanna to her credit she'd come over. You know the proxy results are basically a foregone conclusion. You know it was ninety percent our swing and and you know ten to her sort of scenario. And and to her credit, you know she got up in front of a hundred people in a room and did a pitch and about how good the business is. And you know and and it was um, and at the time you know Todd and I were sitting there and and she's you know pitching a heart out, doing a great job because she's yeah. she was a brilliant speaker. Um, but the votes had already been cast, you know, yeah. and, and I don't think she sort of realised that that the votes had already been cast. So, so we ended up, uh, and then after that, we we you know put it into suspension and and shut down the US business, and and it really sort of culminated in in a few weeks after that, you know, she obviously believed the one page direction and wanted to continue on that, but needed needed some money. Yeah, and so a few weeks after that, she sort of rang and said, you know, hi, how are you going? Are you interested in buying my shares? And so we did an off-market trade and we Good bought time. out all of Joanna's shares at that stage yeah. um, as well. So, um, so and then she's gone and done a, a, a one-page version too called Sensia, I think okay. it is, in Silicon Valley. So okay. she's still battling out there. So, you know, got to so give her some that's credit. a public-private business in effect? Yes. What status, that's a public... We, is that easy to list on the ASX if you choose to or not really? Oh, look, no. You know, because of the Get Swift thing and, yeah. and all of that sort of stuff, the ASX really cracked down and, and, and we went through a period where we were trying to relist on the ASX. Look, go back one step. We looked at so many deals and, and what... I think in hindsight, to be really honest with you, it's too big a shell... Yeah. You know, it was really difficult to find something because if if companies are um, 
in order to get leverage yeah. from from the shell, right, with twenty seven million in the bank, good shareholder register, nice and tight, um, all the ingredients are there for a really good listing, but you know, in being sort of critical of, of ourselves and, and myself at the time, I, it's too big for us. Yeah. You know, like... like by the time it doubles, it's a real business at some level. Mate, it's absolutely. You know, business, that's not a... Yeah. You and you're looking, you're looking at companies that need 25 mil to go in. Now, those companies are generally going to be capped at 200, 300, 400 yeah. million dollars, you know. Yeah. So we looked at all these really big companies and, and a couple of them that we, you know, we went through and did DD on and all this sort of stuff. And and that's just not our expertise. Yeah. You know, you, you're looking at companies like Marley Spoon and yeah. whatnot. And thankfully, you know, we didn't invest in that because yeah. it, you know, crapped itself. But um, it just wasn't the area of expertise and you can't add any value because a company that's two, three hundred million, yeah. if they are wanting to RTO, there's a problem, mm. right? Because they're generally big enough to IPO. Yeah. And so if they're wanting to go into an RTO, then then they're probably going, well, you know, we can't do a front door, so we're going to do a back door. Yeah. And so... And those, so therefore, they become really hard to do DD on, and they become so we looked at heaps. Yeah. So Todd and I looked at heaps of investments, and then, you know, I've been uh, an investor in the medical cannabis space in Australia since it started, and and uh, and you know, I got involved for for various reasons, and did did um, you know DD trips and so on to Israel, and and looked at it from a you know, an ethical perspective and, and whatnot as well. And I just really like that human element of it. I think there's a there's a long, you know, term outlook for medical cannabis to yep. replace things like morphine and, mm. you know, the US has now got hold of it because of the opiate addiction and yep. so on and so on. And 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 so we were um and that was a you know, that was a personal story because of my partner, she she had suffered um some stomach migraines that you could never figure out what they were and did a lot of testing and everything like that and just could never figure them out. But a couple of times a month they would just wipe her out, you know, yeah. and she would be curled up in bed and just, you know, have to sleep it off and take some neurofin and, and just shut the doors and yeah. basically don't don't see her for a couple of days. And uh, and then we went through the through the Zelda journey with um, Harry Carellis, who's another guy that I, I would say is another one of my, you know, really good friends and mentors, like yeah. Todd and David and the other guys are. Um, we went sort of through the journey together, and uh, and Harry and and I, and we looked at a company at the time called Zelda's, and and we were getting ready to backdoor Zelda into another shell, and you know all that sort of stuff. And and in long story short, when I um, ended up with some medical cannabis oil for my partner yeah and that's the uh cbd oil or both cbd and thc THC oil so the, THC. the yeah the, the strong yeah. one and um and it was just uh um you know a, a micro sample yeah you know because it's technically not legal at sure. the time there's a lot of 20 year veterans in the cannabis industry in canada it's only been legal for a year or two which uh no, which no, i always no, laugh when funny. i read that in the prospectus it's yeah, a 20 yeah, year veteran. yeah, yeah. 20 year veteran i think it's 20 year veteran of smoking weed. yeah well that's right yeah of the know. industry per yeah, se but yeah anyway yeah and um and so uh and then what, what we found for her is that the oil then she would get the onset of the stomach migraine and then yeah. dip a toothpick in the oil put it under her tongue go to sleep next day no problem is that right and it literally was 
that. And yeah. so from there, then I started really looking seriously at it, at it, and how do we get set, and how do we do companies, and so, and you know, since then we've we sort of got involved, and in with Harry, and Harry's my. Um, Harry's a good friend of mine and, and we do a lot of deals together as well and, and um, Harry you know uh, I, I don't know what it says about me but I've latched onto all these really really smart people yeah. I think I'm smart just because I've latched onto <laughs> smart people yeah. I don't necessarily think I'm one of them um, and uh, and Harry's a, a very big brain and, 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 and he's a very big scientific brain but he's also very commercial and so yeah. Um, and I can remember sitting at lunch and I was talking about a deal that we were doing. I said, it's in cannabis space. And Harry's gone, oh, mate, you know, don't be an idiot. I'm not doing that. And then, and then, you know, and he really bagged it. And then he started doing some DD. And the first deal that we went to went was a company called MMJ Phytotech. Oh, and, yeah. uh, but then Harry, you know, got involved in it with me because he didn't, he was going, oh, you know, can I invest in it with you? And I said, yeah. And so he came in and did a small investment. And was that in the medical space or was that in the leisure market? MMJ? Medical. That was medical. Yeah. So have you only played in the medical space? Only played in the medical space, yeah. 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 Because I think in Australia it's it's really difficult. At the, and I'm not playing in the space very much at the moment, to be honest. Yeah. Because it's just, I think in Australia the valuations just went too crazy. Particularly and given the size of our market, don't you think? Like absolutely. With some of the, the overseas valuations are crazy, but they've got uh, more than 26 million people yeah. that they're going to be selling to. Yeah. But also, it's it, what what happened is the stock market valuations that they, they just went nuts. You yeah, know? and you had Ozcan at five hundred million, Can yeah. Group at five hundred million, all of these sort of big numbers. And uh, uh, and look, you know, we made a lot of money on that. You know, so I, I can't complain too yeah. much. But um, it got to the stage where you know companies like Zelda and um, Campal and and you know Ozcan for instance they just couldn't even get product yeah and so these companies their market caps have gone through the roof and they still couldn't even get product yeah and so when you know when we sort of figured out that it was like oh shit you know might want to sell some of these stocks down and yeah. so um, is there going to be scarcity in it longer term oh, it just seems like the mate I don't I don't think so no I think full CBD sorry full medical grade oil yeah. will be scarce. Will it? Because Why, the, just because the process to get it to that the phase is tricky. The process to get it to that phase is very, very tricky. Okay. And uh, and even and a lot of the and, and also demand for the medical product yeah. is is very robust and especially yeah. in Canada. And a lot of um, and the reason why, you know, and I still believe in the industry because the opioid addiction, you know, in the States is certainly something that Donald Trump's been banging on about. Yeah. And uh, and it's a real problem. You yes. know, it's a real problem. D- mortality rates are going up. Yeah. And, and, uh, and, and it's a real problem. And so um, uh, medical cannabis is a logical replacement for that. And you keep in mind that opioid is actually morphine. Yeah. And morphine's a poppy. Yeah. You know, so... So it's a sort of morphed from that one, and I think there's. Um, but we we've looked at, for instance, in our in our one page transaction, which we've converted now into a company called Eurocan. So we're looking at Germany. Yeah. And Germany, it's just it became legal in 2017, medical, not yeah. recreational. Yeah. But you know, you look at the size of the market there, and and the you know, it's 85 million people. Yeah. And so, you know. Generally, that market and for what's good for Germany is good for France and Italy and the other European nations as well. So, but the barriers to entry are so high because it's so hard to actually, 
you know, produce a plan. Because the regulation's so, that so is, intense. That is, you know, GMP certified, which yeah. means it basically is, is medicine and then it becomes oil and then you've got a... You're, you're effectively transporting a narcotic. And yeah. This is, this is where it is difficult to do and it... Um, and it's a long process, and we're we're right in the thick of that at the moment with with Eurocam, which we think will probably list, you know, later two thousand and nineteen, yeah. something like that. And we're just not sure yet even where we're going to list it. So we might look at Canada, we might look at the Nasdaq, we might look yeah. at the UK. We've had expressions of interest from all of those markets, and we're just we're just trying to make an informed decision. So when you're trying to think about who's going to win in that medical space, you're viewing it as a like a, a Pfizer or a pharmaceutical or are you using, looking at it like a Johnson & Johnson, you feel it's going to be a quality product or a marketing exercise? Have you got a clear picture of who's going to actually win out of that? Yeah, look, I think, and you touched on it before, is that it's an agricultural product, yeah. right? It's a refined agricultural product. Is it so like a Penfold's going to win? Or, you know, that's the... I, you know, this is the reason why a lot of the beverage companies yeah. in the States have started to look at it because when you look at Canada as a market, and Canada is obviously a first world country and a developed nation and so on, when you look at the effects that introducing not only medical cannabis has had but now recreational cannabis, yeah. you know, crime rates have gone down, GDP's gone up, the CC purchases have skyrocketed. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. The um, effects of the healthcare system have, have lessened. You know, there's yeah. less impact on the healthcare system. Um, and so, what has happened? And this is why the beverage companies are buying big stakes yeah. in big cannabis companies because consumption of alcohol's gone yeah. down. You know, there's, so there's all those sort of side effects that well, side effects, for want of a better word, but there's all of those um, consequences which have happened in Canada with the introduction of both medical and recreational. Yeah. You know, Canada had. Um, if you look back on it a couple of years ago, you know, Canada had net migration of people and moving to Canada in order to get access to medical cannabis. And, and now that... And, and, you know, so the science has to come first, is, yeah. is what we think. And, and I might be totally wrong, but, um, you know, what I look at for these investments is the science. Right? Yeah. And I'm not a scientist. And as I said, I'm a jack-of-all-trades, master of none. But... You've got to look at companies where they've got a scientific edge, you yeah. know. So it's something like Zelda that that is is becoming a science laden medical cannabis company. It's not a medical cannabis company that does some science. Yes, it's the other way around. Yeah. and uh, and we're in another one called Campow, which is for pets. Yeah, and that's going to be a really really big market as well. But it's got to come from a science. Otherwise, you're just a price taker. Aren't Mate, you? You're otherwise, like a, you're, you're growing wheat, and whatever you're the price wheat. of wheat is, is yep. what you're copying. Absolutely. So that might you might look at the quality of the seeds they're using yep. in the leisure market, or there's got to be some sort of differentiator. Otherwise, you can have no pricing power when it, it comes yeah, to market. It, look, absolutely, one hundred percent right, and and it and it is it's an agricultural product, right? Yeah. And so there's companies like Elixinol and uh, that have done really well in their stock, and, and a recent one that did a stock market float, and I can't recall the name of it exactly, but. They have done. Um, they've done really well because they are. But it's an agricultural product. Yeah. You know, and and they've got the licenses and so on. But at the end of the day, it's going to come down to the cost of growing yeah. it. Yeah. And and to give you an idea, you know, where our facilities are in Macedonia. Yeah. And so in Macedonia is close to the EU, but it's not in the EU. Yeah. And so the costs of actually growing the product. 
Macedonia has 300 days of sunshine a year. Yeah. You know, there's all of these sort of factors. And, so if you don't have the science, you're going to be the lowest cost producer. Correct. If you're not the lowest cost producer, yeah. you want to have the science. Is correct. that sort of a, yeah. a very basic yeah. way to And if you can down? be a low cost producer, but also have the science, yeah. you're way ahead of the game. Yeah. And there's not many, there's not that many companies out there that do it. Yeah. And, you know, to give you an idea, Can Group recently made an announcement and they're going to do... I think it's debt funding or whatever. I didn't pay a huge amount of attention because I'm not into it. I'm not in that investment. But And they've done exceptionally well since listing. Um, and there's some really big brains behind that. But they are doing a, a 30,000 square metre facility in Victoria. Yeah. And uh, and their projected cost for that is like 130 million Aussie dollars. Yeah. Now, you know, we're doing a 33,000 square metre facility at the moment in Macedonia and oh, we spent maybe 10 million. Yeah. You know, so it's yeah. just... And so all of a sudden, when it comes time, because prices for the medical product will eventually come down. Yes. And if your costs of doing business are high, yeah, you know, you're going to get stuck. And this is where, um, you know, and so that's sort of... And so you've got to have that scientific edge. And if you have it... Um, you have it in in for us and we're distributing into germany for us you've got to be gmp certified yeah and that essentially means that you your processes you have to have a standard operating procedure basically a manual for every single process Oof. from the moment the seed turns up to the gets put in the pot yeah how it goes into the greenhouse who handles it how do they handle it you know sounds like fun what happens if uh, um and then and then for, from a harvest perspective and then the transportation from the harvest perspective to the extraction machine, then it goes in the extraction machine and then it comes out as oil. Yeah. And so all of that has to have a, a, a procedure, so a full manual yeah. for that whole thing all the way through to then distributing in Germany through the pharmaceutical networks. Yeah. Now, and to give you an idea how much information it is, like, you know, if you if your worker in your extraction you know, facility has to go to the toilet, right? You have to have a standard operating procedure for that. Wow. And that has to be checked off, has to be audited, has to be, you know, They do that the same way in Germany as they do in Australia? Yeah, yeah, (laughs) probably worse. You know, you think about the German sort of um, industries and so on, it's a very um, compliance-driven industry, so it's pretty full-on. But I guess that's your economic moat in a way, as much of a pain in the ass as what that is. Yeah, yeah. If you can get through all that and you do it, in a way, that's what's stopping everyone else coming in. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, it really is. And so that's that's the sort of really long version of the one-page story of where that is at the moment. So we're looking at at probably listing that. um, As I said, we're just trying to ascertain now where to do it and where we think we'll... You know, can, the Canadian market obviously is still pretty hot and we're a bit, little bit worried that there's a bit of a bubble there. But, you know, on the other side of the coin, we think we'll, you certainly get a bigger valuation there. Yeah. And we're in a unique story in a sense that we're a low-cost producer and we've got access into Germany. Yeah. And so there's not many of those stories around. So, um, you know, watch this space and... Yeah, it could be a book in it, I reckon, yeah. at the end of the day, because of it's been a pretty entertaining um, journey. Yeah, yeah. So just rounding off, I like to ask uh, the guests three questions about what the world will look like in the year two thousand and thirty, when my eldest son will be eighteen. Well, yeah, yeah. Will he ever drive his own car, or will cars be autonomous by two thousand and thirty? Mate, I'm. Uh I'm a, I'm a uh, I'm a bogan deep down. Yeah. So 
I hope not. Yeah. <laughs> I love my, you know, my, my bogan car and boat. What's your bogan <laughs> car you're driving? I, I have a... Um, I have a E63 Merc. Okay. And so... That's not really Bogan. I was hoping it'd be a club no, sport or something. No, no, no. Yeah. Club sport would have qualified. Yeah, yeah, I had a club yeah. sport when I was over here. Yeah, yeah. You would have fitted in very well. <laughs> right, you're down at Rockingham. Yep. yep. King of the kids down there. Yeah. No, it's... Um, well, I don't think E63 can qualify as Bogan. No, That's a nice it's, car. It's still a Bogan car, yeah. <laughs> it, uh, so you're going uh, with no the, for that? The, the, the police would argue differently. Yeah. My, lic- my license would tell you that it's a bit of a Bogan car, my amount of points I've got left. Yeah. Um, I'm saying no because yeah. I think it's one of those things. It's like space travel, right? And and you know, my basic mind, I, I think space travel or, or getting in a plane and going into space and then coming back down into you know into London or something like that, like um, like SpaceX and all those yeah. companies are talking about. It's a quantum leap. Yeah. You know, it, there's got to be there's got to be a step before that. I think and 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 It'll be, I don't know when it's going to happen or whatnot, yeah. but I think electric cars is certainly something that is is coming and yeah. it's coming thick and fast and, and that's the way of the future. There's always going to be cars, are, in my in my opinion, cars, and this is probably differs from country to country, right? Yeah. Cars for Australians are emotive yeah. in a sense that, you know, we're all grown up and with Ford and Holden and yeah. watch Mount Panorama and they're all that. They're a status symbol, aren't they? And even if you're not into cars, they're still emotive. You yeah. know, my my partner likes her car and she, you know, she likes it and, and she likes driving it and yeah. stuff like that. So there's always that. And I think when you've got that competing with a driverless society, yeah. I think those things are going to take a long time to mesh. Yeah. You know, my dream car, if I could afford it and find one, would be something like a... a, a a Mustang, a 69 yeah. Mustang Fastback. And, you know, I'm always going to want that. And yeah. I'm always going to want to... So how am I going to drive that? Yeah. You know, later on in life, in 2030, when I can maybe finally afford it and find <laughs> one. How yeah. am I going to drive it? Where am I going to drive it? And if the roads are just full of electric cars all going yeah. in one way, it's not going to work. Yeah. And uh, and so I think, you know, there, there's got to be a step in between that. And that step will be something like... You know, the tram network's changing and, in a sense, being more, um, like, buses on a Maybe rail autonomous or zones. Yeah, Maybe the CBD yeah. might be an autonomous zone Something. where you park Correct. on the periphery yep. and you get yep. autonomous vehicles motoring around. Something like that. Yeah. You know, there's got yeah. to be a, stout, a step between Particularly that. in Australia, a country as big as Australia. Yeah. Like, yeah. just having... I mean, yeah. I can't even get Wi-Fi at my house. Yeah. You know, like, let alone like, have a whole network connected yeah. for... Yeah. It could be something like, you know, um, trucks going across the Nullarbor or something. They could be remote control. Yeah. You know, like a lot of the mining companies these yes. days are all doing the remote control, whether it be they trucks or trains. Yeah. And, uh, and, and look, that's, that, that's fascinating. A lot of that technology will flow down into, um, you know, streets and day-to-day users, um, you know, in, in areas that people use. And yeah. I think that... That's probably maybe the next step before it goes fully autonomous cars. So yeah. I don't know. I hope cool. not is my short answer. That's good. Yeah. And so in the year 2030, will the US dollar still be the reserve currency of the world? Oh, look, you know, that, that, that's way beyond my pay grade, Best mate, to be honest. Best guess. Well, <laughs> <laughs> so, someone, um, someone interviewed me for, uh, for um, and they said, 
you know, do you do you do Bitcoin investing? And I said, to be honest, I don't even know what it is. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and I said, I don't really invest in anything I don't understand. Hence my, you know, why I don't do a hell of a lot of resource stuff. Yeah. Because I'm just not, uh, I was never very good at geology at school. And um, I, look, I don't know. Yeah. I, I don't know. Cool. I think there's too many forces at play and there's too many agendas at play and, and it could Such be. Such a multifaceted Mate, issue. Cash, isn't cash it? is obviously dying. Yeah. I think, you know, and so that's going to be a real issue. I think there's, you know, blockchain certainly looks like something that is. Uh, Bitcoin, I just don't know. You know, the whole. The whole thing about Bitcoin is I, I just don't get it. And, and I think just being a little bit, you know, my conservative nature, a little bit of it, I, I'm a bit frightened of it, Yeah. You know, to be really honest. I think anything that that has, though, you know, no one knows who made it up. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. It's no weird, one knows how know. to get them. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. It's all too creepy for me. Yeah. Yeah. So and, I don't know. And so lastly, by 2030, will AI have smashed the jobs market or will it be the same as when computers became commonplace and the jobs just evolved yeah look i i i think the latter i think yeah yeah i do i think um i don't think it'll smash a job there'll be certain areas yeah, yeah for sure you know that that i think there's um you know that the you know to be honest I, i've been trying to research a bit lately and trying to find um, a, a company to invest in that does robotic surgery. Oh yeah, right. Because I reckon that's got to be the way of the future. Yeah. You know, and you've probably been under the knife more than me. But yeah. you know, if you're having a normal procedure where you go in and and you know you go into a um, you have a um, MRI scan or something like that scans your body and your appendix is you know a basic bit of surgery like your appendix yeah. getting removed you know um a, a robot comes in and does it you know yeah. and i think that will use ai and uh and i think that the the end result from a human perspective will be really beneficial because it'll be less you know less evasive yeah it'll be the cut will be more surgical there'll be Robot yes. won't have a hangover ever, or robot won't have a bad day. Yeah. you know, and and end up being where, you know, your recovery time will be quicker and all yeah. those sort of things. And I think so. So AI will certainly enable a lot of those jobs, which could potentially be removed. But, mate, I, you know, I'm old enough. I'm now that I can remember back in the days where people go, you know, the internet and uh, and you know computers will mean you're not going to print anymore. Yeah. And yeah, that's true. Mate, I reckon we use more paper now than we ever have. Yeah. And uh, and I you know, and I'm old enough to remember the Y2K bug and all yeah, that yeah. sort of stuff and and I just uh, look I yeah, I think it's a ladder. I think it'll it'll assist human behavior and human nature and it'll make you know massive improvements that that we probably can't even quantify or even think about at this point in time yeah but i don't see it replacing you know humans in positions there's always going to be a need for people beautiful on that Unless note it's something like the terminator you know I mean, you go back to those sort of movies i don't know who knows john connor yeah. on that note thanks very much jeffy really no appreciate problems. it no right. problems chris thanks for having me I was really lucky to spend that much time with Andrew Chapman and felt like I learned a lot. His ability to make complex things sound simple is one of his major skill sets. Some of the other learnings I took away with it, it's all about the people, particularly when you're investing in micro cap businesses. Plus his point around when the ducks are quacking, make sure you feed them is a reminder to all investors in small cap stocks to make sure you sell when there's some liquidity available. Next week on the show, I'm joined by Todd Barlow, the CEO of Washington Soul Pats. 
Once again, I'd like to thank the support given to us for this podcast by Think Markets. If you want more information, head to thinkmarkets.com or download their Think Trader app if you're looking to trade in currencies, commodities, indices, stocks, or CFDs. If you enjoyed the episode, please subscribe to us on iTunes and leave a review.